0: The theme of the book of Revelation is what? Jesus Christ, yes. Look for Christ in uh, the book of Revelation. He is the theme of the book. Look for Him on every page. Behold Him. Learn of Him. Recognize that He is, as we sang, He is the God of mercy, grace, and love but he is also the god of justice, judgment and righteousness. And so as we go through the book, look at how Christ is revealed in the book of the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. We learned in Revelation chapter 5 verse 9 that Jesus alone is worthy to open the scroll That contains the judgments that are about to be poured out upon the earth. Uh, He is worthy. Why is he worthy? For he is the only one who was slain um, and has redeemed us to God by his blood. Jesus is coming again, and he is coming not as the lowly, merciful Savior. As he came the first time, but he is coming to judge the earth. The, Jesus said in John five twenty two, the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son. Now, for those who may have missed um, previous messages, I want to just do a quick review of some of the um, important things that we've covered. So this slide shows you uh, that we are currently living in the church age. So you see the rapture is the blue arrow going up, and then there's a space that's kind of small to see, but uh, there's a seven-year tribulation period and an arrow coming down. Jesus is coming again, but it's in two parts. The first part, he's coming to the air to receive the church to himself, and we will be gathered to meet him in the clouds. And then he is coming at the end of the tribulation period with his saints um, to uh, set up his thousand-year reign on the earth. Again, I want to emphasize this because we get questions about this almost every week. The church will not be in the tribulation period. He takes us home to heaven, for God did not appoint us To wrath, the scripture says, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Then once the church is raptured, the church age ends. That's it. There are no living believers on the earth at that moment. As soon as the church is raised up, that's it. There are no Christians. There are no saved people. There is no one on earth. That believes on the Lord at that time. None. And so the Lord will judge those who remain on the earth. Uh, In one of the um, uh, letters to the churches, they were called those who dwell on the earth or earth dwellers. And we're going to use that term again today. The earth dwellers. During a seven year tribulation period, The Lord is going to judge those who have rejected Jesus Christ as the only Savior. At the same time, the Lord is unwilling that any perish. He is not willing that any should perish, but that all might come to repentance. And he is going to use this time of judgment actually to woo people to himself because the judgment on earth is nothing compared to the judgment of the lake of fire for eternity. And so there is a comparison here, although what we're going to see today is worse than anything we have ever seen on the earth, apart from the flood. Um, <clears throat> it is it is devastating, but it is nothing in comparison to an eternity in hell, or an eternity in the lake of fire. Um, so the book of Revelation teaches us that there will be three... Sets of seven judgments during the tribulation period. The first we call the seven seals. So, if you remember in chapter five, there was a scroll, and on that scroll, uh, the the cry went out, "Who is worthy to loose the seals of this scroll?" And the only one found worthy was the Lord Jesus Christ. And as the scroll, as the seals are broken uh, on this scroll, as each Seal is broken, there is another judgment. Each seal represents one judgment. And so each time the Lord Jesus, who is the one who is judging, opens a seal, there's judgment upon the earth, and he brings judgment upon the earth dwellers. Out of the seven seals, on the seventh seal comes the seven trumpet uh, judgments, Then out of the seventh trumpet judgment comes seven bowl judgments. Those are going to be looked at in future weeks. Over the past couple of weeks, David and uh, Noad brought uh, to us the first four seal judgments, and we're going to continue on with that uh, today. The first four seal judgments are sometimes called the four horsemen of the Apocalypse. And they're named that because each one of these four seal judgments also has a representative riding on a horse. And there's different color horses, and the person riding on it brings judgment upon those who dwell on the earth. The first seal judgment, David brought this up a couple of weeks ago, is the white horse and the rider is the Antichrist. And the Antichrist comes uh, offering peace, but he doesn't want peace. He wants world domination. He wants to be the king of the world, and he is motivated by Satan to conquer the world, and he wants the world to worship him as God. That's his motivation. Revelation 6.2 says, "'And I looked, and behold, a white horse. "'He who sat on it had a bow,' And a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. In 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul writes, For when they say, peace and safety, he's going to come in saying, peace, peace. And as the uh, Old Testament prophet says, they'll cry, peace, peace. But there is no peace. When they say, peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman. And they shall not escape. The second seal judgment Noah brought uh, up last week the red horse, the rider, uh, comes riding on this horse, but he takes peace from the earth. And so it's an interesting comment in this verse. It says, um, well, I'm going I'm to read something first. If you remember in Luke chapter 2, verse 14, angels heralded the birth of Jesus Christ. And they said this, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. That's what the first coming of the Lord Jesus was all about. Peace on earth, goodwill to men. But in Revelation 6, 4, another horse, fiery red, went out and it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth and that people should kill one another, and there was given to him a great sword. And so as Jesus opens the second seal, a second judgment uh, is poured out upon the earth, the second horseman arrives, taking away peace. And so it's not peace on earth, it's no peace on earth. No peace, that means anarchy. And we have seen in our generation, we have seen in the last few years, anarchy raising its ugly head. We have seen the early signs of this in recent history. In 2020, we saw riots in the streets. We we heard a cry to defund the police. We We saw in major cities across the country and around the world living in chaos where people took over sections of cities, and the police stood outside these new territories, unable to do anything. That's anarchy. No peace. No peace also means wars. Wars and bloodshed have continued since Cain slew Abel. But the massive scale of wars in the old uh, in the uh, judgments. Uh, Will increase. We've already seen, if you look at a chart at wars on the earth, we've had many wars from time immemorial, but they are increasing, and the numbers of people being killed and being slaughtered by these events is increasing. Uh, Roughly 80 million people were killed in World War II. No peace means wars. No peace means violence, and we have seen um, an increase in indiscriminate mass shootings. It seems almost commonplace today to hear of mass shootings, mass killings in public places, schools, shopping centers, workplaces, concerts, theaters, uh, shopping malls, bowling alleys. I looked at a chart last night um, of, of events, of mass shootings, or of shootings in just the United States in 2023, and the, and the list was about seven or eight pages long, and I'm going, I, I hadn't heard of most of them, but recent one was the, uh, the one uh, back in, um, uh, I forget the name of the town, um, Maine, I believe it was, yeah, No peace also means barbaric behavior, such as the world witnessed on October 7, 2023, when Hamas invaded Israel, killing over 1,400 people, wounding more than 5,400, and taking more than 200 people hostage in what has been described as a barbaric attack that included beheading, burning, and ravaging innocent people. This is just a foretaste. This is not the end game. This is not the end yet. This is a foretaste of what is to come. No peace means that it is likely that hundreds of millions of people will be slaughtered by each other in the end times, in the uh, tribulation period. All right, the third seal judgment, the black horse. A rider causes a worldwide shortage of food. The Lord Jesus opens the third seal in Revelation 6, 5, and when he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, come and see. So I looked, and behold, a black horse, and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And then it goes on to talk about how uh, everything that should be cheap is so expensive, nobody can can buy it. During the COVID-19 pandemic, you probably remember this, companies worldwide shut down or greatly reduced their services because of the quarantines imposed on their staff or on their employees. This resulted in severe disruptions to the supply chain for food and for other household goods. I don't know how many of you stood in lines for toilet paper, for example, uh, factories, manufacturing plants were disrupted entirely. You couldn't get cleaning supplies. You couldn't get Lysol. You couldn't get toilet paper or disinfect, disinfectant. This was a dress rehearsal for what is to come. We have tasted it, but what is coming during the tribulation period is much, much worse. With massive numbers of people dying, hundreds of of millions of people dying during the tribulation period. They're slaughtered and the supply chain will be almost non-existent. Deaths in the farming and agricultural community will disrupt the flow of food. Ranchers, cattlemen, farmers will not have the food to supply uh, uh, meals for their animals, which we rely on for food resulting in a lack of meat for consumers. Fruit and grain will be scarce, resulting in worldwide famine. Rationing will be, ex- will be expected. Inflation will be so high that people can't afford to buy food. And famine will kill off literally hundreds of millions of people. And we will see that in the end uh, days. The fourth seal judgment, the pale horse. The rider is called death. And Hades followed with him. So I looked and behold, a pale horse, and the name of him who sat on it was Death. And Hades followed with him. And power was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword, with hunger, with death, and by the beasts of the earth. Roughly two billion people lived on earth in 1939, right before World War II. That's the rough estimate, two billion people. 1939. During World War II, four percent of the population of the earth was killed in the war. That doesn't count. Um, actually, I was thinking of a different one. Anyway, four percent of the population was killed during that war. Here, The fourth seal judgment is death on a massive scale. It is death to one quarter of the entire population of the world. If there are 8 billion people on the planet today, that means 2 billion people will die in this one judgment. The total number of people who were on earth prior to World War II. Two billion people. The rider of the horse is death, and Hades follows. Wars will destroy hundreds of millions of people. Hunger and starvation that come as a result of that will eliminate hundreds of millions more. Death will result from ethnic cleansing, murderous terrorist attacks, uh, indiscriminate mass murders. And even the wild beasts of the field and the wild beasts of the forest and and wherever they are, God allows them to attack. God is restraining that at the moment. But he allows them during this period of time to attack humans for food because they're starving too. The fourth seal judgment kills off roughly two billion people and most of these people says, and Hades follows. Most of these people will end up in Hades, which is another term for hell. And so let me just describe something to you, because sometimes people are confused about this. Hades and hell are the same thing. Hell is a holding tank. Okay? A lot of people say, oh, I'm gonna, my friends and I are going to go to hell, and we're going to live it up for eternity in hell. No, you're not. Okay? Hell is a holding tank, waiting for the final judgment, Which is the lake of fire. And so it's like being in prison in the darkness of blackness of darkness. It is a place where there is wailing and weeping and gnashing of teeth. It is a place where Jesus described in a story of a man who asked somebody who was living to simply dip his finger in a glass of water and with that drop touch his tongue. He was so thirsty. That's hell. But that is not eternal. The lake of fire is the re- final resting place uh, because it says in, in the end of Revelation, and death and he- gave up the dead that were in them, and hell gave up the dead that were in them, and then they were cast into the lake of fire after the, judge, the great white throne judgment. So two billion people lost for eternity. And it makes me wonder, How many people today that we are friends with, that we know, relatives, that aren't saved, who need to know the Savior, and we can rescue them from an eternity like this. So today we're looking at the fifth and sixth seals. The fifth seal is different than the first four. Uh, It is the, um, we title it, the martyrs who cry out for vengeance on the earth dwellers. The fifth seal has no horse. It has no horsemen. The scene is no longer on earth. Remember we said to look at keys of the Scripture? And one of the keys was to look at the scene. What scene are we in? We're no longer on earth in this judgment. We are. The scene is in heaven. And the judgment is a righteous cry for justice. So let's read it, Revelation 6, 9 through 11. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer. Until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren, who would be killed as they were, was completed. As I mentioned earlier, when the rapture occurs, all believers are removed from planet earth. There are none left. If there are no believers on earth, can anyone be saved during the tribulation period? Can anyone be saved? For you, living today, the answer is this, today is the day of salvation. Jesus died on the cross for you. He was buried. He rose again the third day to deliver you from the wrath to come, to forgive your sins and to give you a home in heaven. And so the, the, the cry today, the call today is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved from the wrath to come. For he says this in 1 Corinthians 6.2, in an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. If you don't know Christ, please Don't put it off until the tribulation. Because if you do, there is no second chance for you. You've heard the gospel. You just heard it right now. And it's as simple as that, to believe the gospel and be saved. Have your sins forgiven. Come into a right relationship with the Lord. Don't wait for the tribulation. It'll be too late. People who hear the gospel now will not be saved in the tribulation period. How do I know that? Because those who reject the truth now will believe a lie then. It is because they rejected the only true Savior, Jesus Christ, that God will send upon them a strong delusion, the Scripture says, and they will believe the lie of the Antichrist, that he is God, and they will be condemned with him. And so I go back to the question, can anyone be saved during the tribulation period? And the answer is yes. The hand of the Lord is not short that it cannot save. And when you see what happened on the day of Pentecost, when Peter got up and he preached a message of salvation to the Jews, and thousands came to Christ in one day, the Lord's hand is not short that it cannot save. How he does it I don't know, but it will be through the gospel message being proclaimed somehow, whether that is simply through somebody picking up this good book and reading the gospel message or somebody listening to an old sermon on, on uh, you know, CDs or whatever media they have at that time uh, or somebody reading a gospel booklet. God's hand is not short that it cannot save. And he will save, and he will save abundantly. The Scripture is very clear about this. So can anyone be saved? Yes, those who have never heard the gospel in the age of grace. They will have an opportunity in the tribulation period to believe the gospel. However, if they do believe in the tribulation period, it will be very likely that they will be martyred for their faith. But it will be a very challenging time As a believer at that time, people will hate believers, just as Hamas hates the Jews and wants to eliminate the Jews from the face of the earth. So people, earth dwellers, will hate believers and will want them off the face of the earth. And the easiest way for this to take place is to kill them. And apparently killing will be, you know, the Wild West all over again. Many will be martyred. Believers will be betrayed, even by close family members. You know, again, we got a taste of this during COVID. It's the weirdest thing to see. People were spying on each other. People were reporting each other for not having, you know, this, the shot. I'm going, what is this? Okay, but that's just a shot to protect somebody from a, a pandemic. But what is going to happen then when your own children, your own parents, your own sister, your own brother, your cousins, your near relatives report you for being a Christian? It's a death sentence during the tribulation period. Matthew 24 says, verse 9 says this, then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. And so the Lord is going to see to it that the gospel continues to go out. People will not be part of the church, because the church is over at that point, but they will be believers like they were in the Old Testament. The gospel of the kingdom will be preached during the tribulation. At first, it will be by individuals who personally come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Salvation is always based on the same thing, whether it's the Old Testament during the church age, during the tribulation, during the millennium. It doesn't matter. It's faith in God. It's faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that saves a person. It is not by their works. Never has been, never will be. It is by faith. That gospel message is preached and people are saved. At first, as I say, it will be by individuals preaching and witnessing to others. Then, as we'll see, I think, next week, the Lord will seal... 144,000 Jewish men, 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel, and they will be witnesses of uh, the gospel as well. Then the Lord later on will raise up two special witnesses, we'll talk about them later, who will proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. And finally, at the end of the tribulation period, God will send out one of his mighty angels who will circle the globe and he will be pronouncing salvation. Uh, again, it's a final cry to come to the Lord Jesus Christ and have your sins forgiven. During the first half of the tribulation period, the hostility against believers will grow, and there will be many who will be hauled into "...Jewish and Gentile courts. They are told not to prepare a defense. The Lord will speak through these believers during the time, giving a testimony against their persecutors." Mark chapter 13 says, "...but watch out for yourselves, for they will deliver you up to councils, and you will be beaten in the synagogues. You will be brought before rulers and kings for my sake, for a testimony to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations." But when they arrest you and deliver you up, do not worry beforehand or premeditate what you will speak. But whatever is given you in that hour, speak that, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. Now brother will betray brother to death, a father his child, and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but he who endures to the end will be saved. shall be saved." Now, this does not guarantee their deliverance. Many will be beaten. Many will be martyred for their faith. And that is the scene that we see in heaven in the fifth seal judgment. John sees a scene in heaven, and the picture is of the altar of God. And he saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain, for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. These are believers who died during the first three and a half years of the tribulation period. There's more to come, but this is the first three and a half years of the tribulation period. Martyrdom is not new to those who believe. The first martyr of a believer was in the Garden of Eden. Abel, a man of faith, was murdered by his brother Cain. Cain hated Abel for demonstrating faith in God. And he hated Abel because God accepted his sacrifice and didn't accept Cain's sacrifice. And the Lord said to Cain, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. You know, people of faith have always been hated. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego were thrown into a fiery furnace because they refused to bow down to the uh, statue of Nebuchadnezzar. And uh, Daniel was thrown into the lion's den for praying to God three times a day. They actually wrote a law in order to put him in the lion's den. John the Baptist was beheaded. Stephen was martyred for preaching the gospel to the Jews. It is believed that 11 of the 12 disciples were martyred for their faith. And um, in um, Fox's book of Martyrs, it lists, he lists hundreds of believers who were mercilessly killed for their faith and for their testimony. And many believers to this day are being killed um, for their faith. The blood of all the martyrs cries out for justice. It is a justice that has not yet been served. It is a justice that still has to be um, uh, brought forward. And the only one who can do it is the Lord Jesus Christ. They see the Lord Jesus Christ in this fifth judgment. um, And they cry out with a loud voice, Oh, how long, O Lord, holy and true! until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth. And the fifth seal is really the martyr's cry, the cry for justice. You remember the story Jesus told of the woman, the widow, who went to the unrighteous judge and cried out, avenge me of mine adversary, avenge me of mine adversary, and she kept repeating the same thing, and the judge had no respect for, the, for God and he had no respect for people, and he just got, got so weary of her crying He said, all right already, you're avenged. (laughs) And the Lord said, shall not God avenge his own elect? And that's what we see here. They are crying out, Lord, our blood was spilt because we served you. Our blood was spilt because we loved you. Our blood was spilt because we loved them so much We wanted them to know the gospel and they killed us for it. Lord, avenge us of our adversary. And the martyrs cry out to the Lord Jesus because they know he is holy. He cannot overlook the sin of murder. He is true, he will fulfill his word, he is the judge. Abraham said, Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? And he will take vengeance. The Bible says vengeance, of, God says this in the Bible. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord, I will repay. We are not called to vengeance, but he will take vengeance on those who have done evil. In Deuteronomy 32, we read this, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people, for he will avenge the blood of his servants, And render vengeance to his adversaries, he will provide atonement for his land and his people. Jesus spoke of God's judgment that would come upon those who spilled innocent blood. He said uh, to the Jews of his day, Therefore you are witnesses against yourselves, that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your father's guilt, serpents, brood of vipers, How can you escape the condemnation of hell? Therefore, indeed, I send you prophets, wise men, and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify, and some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city, that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on the earth from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zachariah son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Not to mention the fact that they are also guilty of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, shedding his blood, uh, crucifying him uh, mercilessly, an innocent man. During the tribulation, the martyrdom of believers will increase exponentially. The martyrs, the Bible says this in Revelation 7, 9, the martyrs will be a great multitude which no one could number of all nations tribes peoples and tongues so stopping there for a second that shows you just that verse alone shows you that the the hand of the lord is not so short that it cannot save because if there are so many martyrs during the tribulation period it means there are so many people who have trusted the lord Without number, it says. You can't even number the number of people who will come to know the Lord at that time. So the Lord is graciously acting in mercy towards those who are still going through the tribulation period, winning them to himself. But they're few in the the sense of the overall population. If God is a righteous judge, and he is, then there must be a righteous judgment to answer for all the innocent blood that has been spilt from the blood of Abel to the crucifixion of Christ and all the way through to the tribulation saints. And the Lord will avenge. But at this time, in this sealed judgment, it's still not the end of martyrdom. The cup of the martyr's blood is not yet full. And then it says, then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren, who would be killed as they were, was completed. The cup of the martyr's blood is not yet full. They are the ones who cry out to the Lord to avenge them. and The Lord told them they must wait a little longer. Remember your father ever saying to you, Dad, can we go right now? Can it happen right now? Can we do it right now? No, just just wait a little longer. And he's just comforting them. Wait a little longer. I've heard you. I know that it's right. I know that it's just. I'm just not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance first. and Then I will avenge your blood. The Lord told them they must wait a little longer till the rest are martyred for their faith, and then he will pour out his vengeance on the earth dwellers. Are we willing this day, are we willing in our day and age to stand up for Jesus and let our voices be heard? You know, I've never faced martyrdom. I've I've had people hate me enough that they've told me they want to kill me. But they've never taken out a gun and shot me. They've never literally cut my head off. Uh, in their words, they killed me. Every opportunity we have should be given to witnessing for Christ during this time when it's so easy to share the gospel. It's going to be so hard during the tribulation period. The watchmen on the wall must sound the alarm to those who are perishing. Today is the day of salvation. Let your voice be heard. All right, the sixth seal is next. It's chaos on earth and in heaven. Now the scene changes again. We now move from heaven and we now focus our attention back on earth and what's happening on earth. And uh, verse 12 of chapter 6, I looked when he opened the sixth seal and behold, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair And the moon became like blood. Now, the sixth seal judgment um, is distinct. It's a distinct change from the type of judgment we've seen so far. The first four were really men fighting with men. Man against man, killing, murder, slaughter, all of this stuff. It was just evil. The fifth was a cry for justice. The sixth is the hand of God. I mean, all of it is the hand of God. But if you remember when uh, Moses stood before Pharaoh, and the magicians came along and said, we can do that trick. And they tried to mimic the, uh, the judgments that uh, Moses uh, called out against Egypt. But they got to a point, I forget which one it was, maybe the third one or something like that, and they they couldn't do it. They couldn't mimic it. They couldn't replicate it in any way. And they said, clearly, this is the finger of God. They recognized it. People, when they see this judgment, will recognize this is the finger of God. It's a distinct type of judgment. Chaotic events break out on earth and in the cosmos. The first event of this judgment is a great earthquake. Some of you will remember uh, that the San Francisco Bay Area was rocked in 1989 with a 6.9 earthquake called the Loma Prieta earthquake. It's the worst earthquake I have ever lived through in my life, but it's not the most significant earthquake that has ever taken place on earth. I believe the the strongest earthquake that we know of happened in Chile in 1960, and it was 9.5 on the Richter scale. I don't remember that one. I was only two years old at the time. Um, But there was, on December 26, 2004, a severe magnitude 9.1 earthquake struck in the Indian Ocean region, and that earthquake was so powerful that it created a massive tsunami and caused the entire planet to shift its axis by three inches. I can't even imagine the force of something like that. I was thinking about it this morning, and I thought, okay, if I'm standing here and I want to move this thing three inches, okay, that takes a little bit of force. Not all my force, but it takes a little bit of force. If I had to stand and all of these chairs were piled one on top of the other and I had to try to push them three inches, I don't think I could do it. If I asked all of us to go up to the front of the building and push on the building and try to move it three inches, it wouldn't happen. Now imagine the power and the strength of moving the entire planet three inches off its axis. And that's what happened in that one earthquake. And that earthquake is nothing compared. God does not call that the great earthquake. But this earthquake in the sixth judgment is called a great earthquake. And I believe that it will be felt worldwide. And it will be something catastrophic like we've never seen before. The degree and intensity of the great earthquake commands the attention of the entire world. And it sends fear into the hearts of men on the earth. Most of you know that the earth's crust is made up of tectonic plates, and certain types of earthquakes have one plate, they call it a subduction plate, it goes under another plate that goes over, and when the earth moves suddenly, that's the earthquake. Other plates are this kind of a movement, where one goes north and one goes south, you know, and that sudden jolt is the earthquake. And uh, it may only be an inch or two or even six inches or 12 inches or whatever it is. That doesn't seem like much of a distance. But if you're in a house or a building that's not used to moving that kind of distance, it could collapse on you and it often does. Usually it's somewhat limited in place and time. But this earthquake in this judgment seems to affect the entire planet. And a natural ex. Explanation could be that the whole crust of the earth heaves and shifts all at one time in an unprecedented manner. It's just that it's not a natural phenomenon. That doesn't happen unless God allows it or makes it happen. It is the finger of God causing a significant judgment on the earth. And God's wrath is poured out upon sinners who refuse to turn to him in repentance, seeking forgiveness for their sins. In addition to the great earthquake, there will be cosmic disturbances. Revelation 6, 12, it says, "...the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood, and the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. Both the earth and the heavens will be shaken." unprecedented cosmic disturbances accompany the earthquake. No doubt with these cosmic disturbances, the earth will be, the earth crust will be shattered and tear open with eruptions of volcanoes spewing out lava and smoke and ash into the atmosphere. It will plunge the world into darkness. You know, I I was thinking about this this morning. The heavens must laugh at our goal of solar energy independence. This stops it right here. For none will be produced. Your solar panels will be inoperable if the sun doesn't shine. Your Tesla will be useless. The power grid will fail and the earth will be literally in the dark ages. We cannot even imagine what the world would be like without power without lights, without electricity, without all the modern conveniences that will take away, be taken away in a single day. We have never known to live like this. It, it's not part of our wheelhouse. We don't understand how to live like that. Yeah, sure, you've gone camping on a few occasions, but you always come home, don't you, right? You always come back to the conveniences. Jesus said, this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light. And so the Lord says, all right, you want darkness? I'll give you darkness. And he, he blacks out the sun. That they may dwell in darkness because their deeds were evil. Isaiah says, for behold, the darkness shall cover the earth and deep darkness the people. But the Lord will arise over you and his glory will be seen among you. Even in the judgments, the glory of the Lord will be seen. People cannot ignore the Lord Jesus Christ during the tribulation period. He is not only the theme of this book, but he is the judge of all the earth. And the earth dwellers will recognize who Jesus is, but they won't repent of their sins. And as darkness descends on the earth, it indicates that the day of the Lord has arrived. It is a day or a period of time when God's holiness and judgment are displayed against the world's sins. The prophet Amos said, Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. For what good is the day of the Lord to you? It will be darkness and not light. It will be as though a man fled from a lion and a bear met him, or as though he went into the house, leaned his hand on the wall, and a serpent bit him. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light? Is it not very dark? with no brightness in it, this is the day of the Lord. The heavens will go, and the earth will go through unparalleled upheaval. So we read, the moon will become like blood, and the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. The sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. Isaiah chapter 13, I'm not going to read it, but you might make a note of it. Isaiah 13, 9 through 13, reads like a commentary on this section of the Scripture. I recommend you read it this afternoon, and it shows you the details of what we're talking about. And then also, as another side note, uh, Joel chapter 2, verses 30 through 32. But even in this chaotic judgment, God still offers salvation to whoever calls on the name of the Lord. It says in Joel... um, that the sun will be turned into darkness, the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord, and it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Even in this chaos, God extends salvation to whoever calls in the name of the Lord. Such is the mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The sun is blackened, the moon is red, the stars fall from the heavens like ripened figs falling know, from a tree in a windstorm, the word "stars can actually mean stars, like we, you know the suns are really stars. Uh, but it can refer to any object strewn across the heavens. So the stellar heavens will be blackened because our sun will be dark. The earth dweller, dwellers will be terrified by the sight and the sound and destruction of falling stars. What are these falling stars? It's not suns. Suns would consume the earth if they fell on it. So it has to be other heavenly bodies. What kind of heavenly bodies? Well, asteroids, meteors, parts of comets. No doubt, most of the satellites that we've stuck in space will fall as well, and near-earth objects. What we see today as shooting stars will land with force and destruction on the earth. And so many things fall from the sky that it's described as figs, ripened figs falling from a tree shaken in the wind. Have you ever seen a windstorm that, that hits a tree where the fruit is ripe? It just falls in mass. And that's what it's talking about here. These will be fearful Fearful sights. Jesus said, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of heavens will be shaken. A description similar to this is predicted by the prophets nine times in the Old Testament. So this warning has been issued nine times by the Lord. It's predicted four more times in the New Testament, and the Lord has spoken. He will perform it. In Luke 21, we read, And there will be great earthquakes in various places, and famines, and pestilences, and there will be fearful sights and great signs from from heaven. And there will be signs in the sun, in the moon, and in the stars, and on the earth distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them from fear, And the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then an unprecedented event will appear in the heavens. The sky recedes like a scroll. It rolled up like a scroll. The term receded can also mean to split open or split apart. And the sky is like an open scroll, but it recedes like a scroll when it rolls up into itself. That's one way we could uh, interpret this passage. And I can't tell you with certainty how this happens. This is an event I've never seen, you've never seen, nobody's ever seen. But there is something called gamma ray bursts that are almost instantaneous bursts of energy that seem to split apart and roll up on themselves. The force of these gamma-ray bursts are so powerful that it can decimate an entire solar system. Scientists actually witnessed a GRB last year in um, a very, very distant solar system, September 2022. The description was horrifying. The impact of such an event closer to the Earth, I mean, this was like, I can't tell you how many millions of light years away. I forget what they said. But an even closer event to the earth would be catastrophic. Whatever this is, it's unprecedented. Then he says that mountains and islands are moved. The events in the heavens and on earth are so severe that every mountain and island was moved out of its place. The great earthquake, the falling stars, the potential gamma ray burst, or whatever it is that the Lord shakes upon the earth will be with such that the tectonic plates move with such severity that the land mass of the earth literally is stirring. That's the Greek word in the New Testament. It's stirring. It's like a moving object on the earth. And the word is used to describe somebody wagging their head, Okay, that kind of movement. Uh, it also means to set in motion. It's as if the land has become fluid And the mountains collapse and the islands disappear, moved from its moorings. I mean, it's so frightening to even think about. I I can't even imagine what what would happen, except that we're told men's hearts are gripped with fear. And so every human being on the face of the earth feels the fear and anguish of what is happening. In, In Revelation 6, 15, it says, and the kings of the earth... The great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come and who is able to stand? The Bible says it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Men's hearts will faint from fear and the expectation of things that are coming on the earth and the powers of heaven will be shaken, Luke writes in his gospel. But rather than repent, they flee to the mountains to hide whatever mountains are left. To hide from the wrath of the Lamb. They recognize that this is the hand of God and they run to escape his judgment. Every man from enslaved people to free men from kings to paupers. The mighty men, military leaders flee to caves and rocks to hide from God. The rich and the famous, the poor and the beggarly. They all cry out to the mountains and the rocks for death. Instead of crying out to the Lord Jesus Christ for life. They cry, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. They choose hell over heaven. They choose eternal death over eternal life. And even their dying words are a fist shaking in the face of God in rebellion against the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's an amazing thing, the wrath of the Lamb. John introduced us to him. And he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's how you want to meet Jesus. Here they fear the Lamb of God and his wrath upon the sins of the world. Revelation 6.17, it asks a poignant question. For the great day of his wrath has come and who is able to stand. And we leave that question with you today. Who is able to stand against the wrath of Almighty God? The question is actually answered in the next chapters. It is because of God's mercy that you're here this morning and that you can still avoid the wrath to come if you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. For those of you who have already placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you still have an opportunity to win your friends, your relatives, your coworkers to Jesus Christ. For what is coming is fearful and awesome, and who will be able to stand against the judgment that is coming? Speak up and tell others about the mercy and the judgment that is to come. He who wins souls is wise. Let's pray. Lord, it is a terrifying thing to read these words in, in your scripture. We don't like to think of judgment. We don't like to think of death this way. We don't like to think of the horrors of hell and the lake of fire. And yet all of these things are true. Just as the cross that you bore was true. Just as the death that you died was true. Just as the punishment that you received for our sins was real, and just as the forgiveness that you offer is real, so your judgment is real too, and Lord, we just pray that we would be used by you this week to speak to friends and relatives, co-workers, those that we come in contact with, that we might be able to share the wonderful truth that your mercy is still new morning by morning right now, that your grace is available to them for salvation that salvation is still available to them this day. We pray, Lord, that we might win souls and be wise. In Jesus' name, amen.